0: Well, if God is finished with Israel and there are no national promises for the Jewish people, why is Jesus
1: coming back to Jerusalem?
0: It is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, today on the Line of Fire, which means any Jewish-related question of any kind, by all means, give us a call. It could be questions about Jesus being the Messiah. It could be questions about the Hebrew language, Hebrew Bible, Jewish tradition, modern state of Israel. If it's Jewish-related in any way, give us a call, 866-348-7884. Yet another round of elections about to take place in Israel, it's always chaotic. Election after election, without things being settled, the nation divided in unusual ways. How to pray? Pray for God's will. God, have your way in the elections. And all these different parties running, and you think we've got two main parties in, in America, you may have two main parties in Israel, but there are two of like 12 or 15 or 20, however many are running, and then each one needs the other to form coalitions If you're not familiar with how things run in Israeli politics, the Knesset, so it's like the Israeli Parliament or Congress, the Knesset has 120 seats. So to have a governing majority, you need 61 of the 120 seats. But no party will get that many seats. So let's say the the two primary parties of last time were Likud and Blue and White. And let's say they each got theoretically 38 seats. So now you need 23 more seats to, to get to your 61. Well, maybe another party got 10 seats. Maybe this party, maybe Merritt's got this, and Shas got this, and United Torah Judaism got this, and then the combined Arab parties got this. So you gotta make deals now. Who are you gonna make a deal with? Well, okay, we, we need you and you, but, but hang on. To get you in, you have a demand. Well, you only have four seats. That's all you have is four seats. That's all your party won. Because you vote for parties, not candidates, even though the candidates have leaders. You vote for parties in Israel. And then the party puts forward the leader to lead. So you only got four seats. Yeah, but you need me. And without me, you can't form the coalition. And this is what I demand. Do I do it or do... So that's how it works out. So you end up with various compromises. And then power brokers who don't have... That much power in terms of total seats, but they have power in terms of you need me for your coalition. And then who's going to go further to the left? Who's going to go further to the right? What will the rest of the constituency accept? And it, it, it becomes a very interesting situation there and one that almost always has somebody unhappy i don't I don't mean the large scale votes that your party didn't get in, but I mean even when you vote for your party, they're almost always going to make a deal with somebody somewhere that you're not going to like, but that's just kind of the price of doing business. And you think things get intense with vitriol and attack in America? Trust me, Israel's quite used to that, quite used to that. eight six six. Three four truths. Before I go to the phones, I, I want to open up this subject of the importance of Jerusalem. Why is it that Yeshua is coming back to Jerusalem if, as some people believe, God has finished with national Israel? Individual Jews, they would say, can be saved, but Israel as a whole has no covenantal promises. Modern Israel today has no connection to biblical prophecy. That's what some would allege. Of course, I categorically reject those ideas. There are promises that remain for the Jewish people as a nation. There will be a national turning of Israel to the Messiah at the end of the age. And the Jewish people are back in the land by the sovereign hand of God. The one who scattered is the one who regathered. So those who don't agree and say, no, modern Israel today, it just happened. It has statehood and UN and Western imperialism and, you know, uh, getting involved in the Middle East, and all, that. and that's what it is. There's it nothing to do with prophecy. Okay, I can easily rebut that scripturally, but let's say someone holds to that. And yes, individual Jews can be saved, but there's not significance for the Jewish people as a whole. Well, what do you do with the fact that Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem? Why is he coming back there to set up his kingdom? And why are the scriptures so literal and detailed about this very thing? So just this week, Couple days out now, my brand new book, Christian Anti Semitism Confronting the Lies in Today's Church. As I've said repeatedly, it's the book I wish I didn't have to write. I wish my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, which came out in 92 and now the updated edition in, in, in 2019, I wish that would be enough. Just that would be enough because we cover church history and, so, and some things of what, that have happened today. But that'd be enough, except there is an ugly stream that is growing in intensity and force of Jew hatred among professing Christians. Thankfully, the vast majority of believers I know, all the believers I work with in America and around the world, are great lovers of the Jewish people and lovers of Israel. But this, this is an ugly spiritual cancer that must be identified and excised. And we do it by speaking the truth. We do it by exposing, we name names in the book, we name names, we call people out, we give the quotes, we give the documents, we give the links to the videos. They're all here, it's all documented. So, the last chapter of the book is entitled, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And, and I wanna read just a little bit from this to give you a sampling of where we go in the book. So this is chapter 11 of Christian antisemitism confronted the lies in today's church. Uh, Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. As the angel said to the disciples as they watched the Lord ascend to heaven from the Mount of Olives, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 1.11. Yes, in the same way he left visibly, visibly, bodily from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, he will return visibly, bodily to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. As Bible teacher David Pawson noted, once you accept that this return will be physical as well as personal, tangible as well as visible, in a word bodily, then another adjective has to be added. It will be local. Once that has been said, the location needs to be identified. I've never heard anyone claim that it will be Rome or Geneva or Canterbury or Moscow. Every opinion I have come across plumps for Jerusalem. But it's the end of his quote, but this is not really a matter of opinion. Zechariah 14 confirms this explicitly, stating that on that day he will set his feet on the Mount of Ol. Al- speaking of God himself, near Jerusalem on the east, Zechariah 14.4. It's an indication also of the divine nature of the Messiah. It is also confirmed by other passages, which we'll examine shortly, affirming the essential importance of Jerusalem during the Lord's millennial reign. But, Paulson continues, that raises real problems for the anti-Zionists. Is one of their basic axioms that the land of Israel and its capital city have long since ceased to have any significance for the Lord, even if he still has plans for the Jewish people. The question, why on earth would Jesus return to Jerusalem of all places, becomes a real embarrassment? The only possible answer is that the place, as well as the people, is still integral to his purposes. So that's the end of Paul's quote. Exactly. Why would Jesus return to Jerusalem if the city no longer has significance? But to turn this question around, to what other location would the lion of the tribe of Judah and the king of the Jews return? One of the most famous prophecies in the Bible is found on the lips of the prophet Isaiah, presenting a glorious picture of the messianic reign. Isaiah chapter 2, the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any anymore. In Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4. How beautiful this day will be, How and how this hope has inspired millions through the centuries. No more war. No more strife. The nations of the world worshiping the God of Israel, the Messiah ruling and reigning with justice and with truth, and, with, and all of this will flow out of Jerusalem. Peter in Acts 3 says these promises will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. So Christians who demonize the Jews have taken a very different view, in the words of Rick Wiles, True News, a broadcast that puts out all kinds of anti-Semitic misinformation and to whom we've tried to debate and reach out, have on his show, me on his, hasn't worked. For the record, he says, I totally reject Christ- uh, evangelical Zionism. John Nelson Darby was an occultist. Cyrus Schofield was a lying, deceiving swindler and con man. I'm not a religious Zionist or a secular Zionist. I am a, Zuni- uh, a new Zionist. Old Jerusalem is not my eternal capital. Old Jerusalem is the harlot, the great city, Sodom and Egypt, the city that killed our Lord. It will be completely destroyed by fire when Jesus Christ returns to establish his everlasting kingdom on the new earth. Unlike today's evangelical Zionists, he said, I do not idolize the state of Israel. I desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called my God, for he hath prepared for me a city. So using biblical language to try to denigrate denigrate and deny the promises God gave to Israel. Uh, other christians who are fearful of a jewish utopia have raised similar concerns many point to Diane loper who writes in kabbalah secrets christians should need to know nearly 10 years ago when the holy spirit began to reveal to me out of the scriptures the mysteries of the great city jerusalem i made efforts to share this information with pastors in every instance i received the same answer they could not or would not acknowledge the biblical evidence pointing to jerusalem as mystery babylon the mother of harlots the silver response is based in tightly held traditions of men and is often rooted in fear. No. God says in his word to pray for Jerusalem, Isaiah 62, 7, until it is the praise of all the earth. <clears throat> now, I'm glad, we'll stop there, but I'm glad that when Dan Loper tried to share this false revelation that she believes she got from God, try to share it with different pastors, one after another after another, shut it down. That's what she recounts. Why? Because the Bible's just too clear. Verse after verse after verse, speaking of a glorious future for Jerusalem, the city to which Messiah will return, and to the people of Jerusalem as they turn to God in repentance and recognize Yeshua as Messiah, as God promised it will come to pass. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem because God is not finished with the Jewish people. His promises remain. Israel will turn. All Israel will be saved. Okay, we go to your phone calls when we come back. It's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-342.
1: the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
2: Yeah, just did a panel discussion yesterday.
0: Including my dear friend Paul Wilbur singing there. What is the other passion for the Lord? 866 866- Three for Truth. This is Michael Brown, The Line of Fire, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Let us start with Mary in West Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks for calling The Line of Fire. Hello, Mary.
3: Hi, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, if you speak, I can hear you.
3: Can you Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Just speak and we're good.
3: Can you hear me?
0: I tell you what Mary doesn't seem to know that we can hear her so Rachel will check things out with her in a moment Uh, let's go over to Nathan in Houston Texas welcome to the line of fire
4: Hello, dr. Brown Um, so I have a question regarding Isaiah and uh, just to preface this a little bit I've been doing a deep study into this book for two months every early in the morning And I'm not even halfway done through the book because of how deep it is. But my question regards... uh, I want to get your insight into Isaiah 19, um, especially starting from verse 16. In other words, the second half of the chapter, Mm -hmm. how you see this having some kind of... Like, how how would you see this fulfilled, whether partially or still yet future, And do you see overlapping connections between this section and the last section in Daniel 1140, starting from there, where it seems like Egypt plays a role there as well? So uh, that may be too broad of a question, but
0: uh, I I do want
4: to get your insight.
0: uh, I'm I'm working on my commentary on the book of Isaiah, but just in the early chapters, and and of course it is a, a rich and beautiful and extraordinary book. And the events of Isaiah 19 are, are quite extraordinary. It's the only time in Isaiah where the word Ami, my people, does not refer to, to Israel, Judah. Uh, it refers to Egypt. And the, the culmination, let, let's just get to the, to the end of the chapter. Uh, verse 23, on that day there'll be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt, Egypt to Assyria, and, and Egypt will worship with Assyria, On that day, Israel formed a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within the land. The Lord of hosts will bless them, saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance, are blessed. So this extraordinary picture where these lands, which today are are Muslim lands, and in biblical days were polytheistic lands, will turn on a national level, and together with Israel, will all worship the Lord. But prior to that, is the the smiting uh, prior to that is the judgment so right as we get to the end of this age and then the messiah's return and the setting up his, of his kingdom on the earth we don't know exactly how these things will unfold it does mention god smiting and then healing with egypt which is a divine pattern so there's definitely going to be judgment poured out we know that zechariah 14 tells us that, that all the nations of the earth will be gathered to, to attack Jerusalem and God will fight for Jerusalem. And then the survivors of the nations that attack will come to worship the Lord of hosts at that time. So it would seem that there will be a, a major turning of Egypt and Assyria, which would include at least Iraq today at the, at the end of the age, turning to the Lord after, after severe judgment. So exactly how it'll unfold, I mean, how, we don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's future. Right. But, but I see all of it, certainly, as future. None of it has come to pass yet in terms of what's prophesied here. And even the, the way where everyone worships together, it seems clear that when, when Messiah returns and sets up his kingdom, that there'll be these supernatural highways, that uh, it won't just be metaphorical, but it seems there'll actually be these ways for people to just come and, and worship, and for Jewish exiles that are still scattered to be brought in together. Um, I have not, in my studies, looked carefully to do the the comparison with with Daniel 11. I've never, uh, in in cursory readings and just looking at it in its own context, made those connections. Um, You do have, beginning in verse 40, as you mentioned, the the king of the south and battle. Um, uh, Not even the land of Egypt will escape. Uh, So it could be speaking— of that final judgment as well, singing out Egypt. What it doesn't mention is the salvific part. It it emphasizes more the judgment, whereas Isaiah is emphasizing the salvific part as well. Uh, But you could make a case for for them being parallel for sure.
4: Yeah, so uh, if I may add. um, Yeah. uh, Because when it talks about strike, like Egypt being stricken in Isaiah 19, it almost sounds like they're... it could be divine judgment, but I was thinking, could this also be like they're suffering under some sort of tribulation, which maybe the Antichrist in Daniel 11 plays a role in that, and, you know, that kind of pushes them, similar to how it will with Israel, to seek the Lord and, you know...
0: Yeah, you I know. mean, it's it's clear that God is doing the judging, right? I mean, it's, it says it quite explicitly in the, in the 19th chapter, um, so there'll be the altar to the Lord... Um, and here, uh, verse 22, the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then they will return to the Lord. He will hear their prayers and heal them. But that can happen, of course, through an oppressive ruler. Uh, mm-hmm. God, God struck Israel and Judah in Isaiah 10. He refers to Assyria as the rod of my anger, right? Right. So, so he used a nation struck strike Nebuchadnezzar that brought judgment on Judah and Jerusalem was called my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, But, you know, we we have similar language, though, if you go to, for example, Isaiah 30. So I know you're not there yet. Oh, Um, I am.
4: I just uh, read 31 this morning. (laughs) uh,
0: Okay, got it. So um, verse 26, the moonlight will be as bright as the sunlight. The sunlight will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days. On the day the Lord bandages his people's injuries and heals the wounds he inflicted. So Mm -hmm. there's divine judgment. And then the healing and, and something more beautiful comes out of that. So yeah, it could be, it could be direct outpouring of wrath, as depicted, say in the book of Revelation. It could be wrath expressed through an oppressive ruler, and that's part of divine judgment, giving people over to what they desire. So there, there are all different ways that it could come to pass. It's just it's it's not just amazing that it's gonna happen, but it's amazing it's in the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's another indication of divine inspiration because a, a patriot doesn't really think like that. A, a nationalist doesn't really think like that, especially when you see the idolatry of the nations and how Egypt in the past has been an enemy of Israel. Assyria is a current enemy of Israel, and yet Isaiah is seeing this vision where they'll all worship God together, the one true God. It's, it's an extraordinary account. Yeah, so good questions. I appreciate it. Keep studying and keep digging.
4: And thank you that you're doing a commentary on isaiah that's the first i hear of that i look forward to it
0: <laughs> yeah there, there's actually uh, a bunch of pentecostal scholars have signed on with uh, publisher Stock that puts out a, a lot of uh, cutting-edge books and good academic biblical books and mm-hmm. there are a bunch of different scholars that all taking different books uh, some some are ready to come out pretty soon you know they or or, or they've already been submitted to the publishers and others will be years down the line. So I, I don't have a tight deadline that I have to hurry getting out. The problem is it's a, it's a little longer than expected, so I've already talked with the Old Testament editor and said, hey, are we okay with flexing a bit here, you know, and <laughs> going over the page lines? Because there's so much in it. There's so much in it. So, so I'm anyway, so
4: young, so I can wait. <laughs> so have a good day, Dr. Yeah. Brown. We'll, we'll, let, we'll,
0: we'll let it known when it's—we'll uh, get the word out when it's out. In the meantime, I've got commentaries on Jeremiah and Job, you can enjoy those. All right, let's 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 try to go back to Mary in West Des Moines, Iowa. Go ahead. You're on the line of fire.
4: Thank you. Are you the doctor, Michael
2: Brown, that spoke with the people, the land, and the future of Israel, and you spoke about the uh, relationship between
0: the land and the Yeah, I've got I've got a chapter in that book. Correct. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Well, I don't know why, but I got excited when I looked at the calendar and Passover begins on the seventh of March. All right, Mary, I— I apologize, but I can barely hear you. I don't know what happened, but I see a note here. Uh, we should be praying for our Jewish brothers and sisters. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what's up with your connection, but we're, we're unable to, to. It's almost like a whisper. Um, but listen, the prayers of the church are key for God's blessing on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And for the salvation of the lost sheep of the house of israel use me as an example god's graced me to to do some things and outreach to our people to write a five volume series on answering jewish objections to jesus to do many debates with rabbis i've probably done more public debates with rabbis and put out more apologetics material than than any jewish believer on the planet today by god's grace so we've been able to make some contribution and videos and DVDs and series and teachings and different schools where I've been able to teach and lay some of these foundations. Uh, so by God's grace, we, we've done some good in that respect, all to his glory and all to his credit. And we've also put materials out that have helped awaken the church to anti-Semitic strains that have been there through the centuries. But I'm in the Lord because of the prayers of the church. I'm in the Lord because people prayed me into the kingdom when I was the lost rebellious sinner. I'm in the Lord because God heard the persistent prayers of his people. And what carries me and strengthens me to this day is the prayers of God's people. So there's nothing more powerful you can do than to pray for the salvation of the lost sheep of the house of Israel and for God's blessing on the lost sheep of the house of Israel and protection. Your prayers make a difference. So Mary, even though we couldn't quite talk, thank you for your sentiments. We come back. We'll start with our friend Manny in Brooklyn, 866-34-TRUTH. Phone lines open for your Jewish-related questions.
1: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: His grace, and His face
2: shine upon you. Thanks for joining
0: us on Thoroughly oh Jewish Thursday on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown, and that is the voice of Misha Getz, Marty, and his daughter Misha. 866 866- Three four truth is the number to call. All right, we continue our discussion with our friend Manny in Brooklyn. Welcome back to the Line of Fire.
5: Thank you, Doctor Brown.
0: Hey, just so, a, just a, a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. As we've continued our dialogue, some and you've you've read some of the the things I've sent you. What's your main incentive in having these conversations?
5: Uh, well, it's it's. I, I think I want to dig a little bit more deeper down, you know, to see um, what's it called. Certain, certain, uh, like a little bit deeper, because I do notice that some of some of your your material is very different than other missionaries, where it's mm-hmm. like certain missionaries are very very into being. They they don't they don't care so much about truth. They they're much more focused on uh, a uh, what's it called, just putting out the message. But I, I see you actually a little bit much more. Uh, Honest in your approach, and I'm thinking maybe there's hope for you.
0: Uh, do you think there might be hope for you?
5: Oh, certainly. I hope I hope there is hope for me. Yeah.
0: Ah, uh, all right, and that'll come from pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Correct? Sure. Got it. So, have, have and, and we'll get to your question in a moment. But one more question for you have Have you ever in your life made life decisions where you had to go against the grain of your community or family because of your own convictions or have you pretty much always stayed right in the middle with the community you're and your family beliefs and things like that?
5: Uh, well, so, I mean, as you know, I grew up in the more of a Hasidic background and uh, I would say recently, about maybe a few years ago, I recently started to become a little bit more... Uh, I started to drop lots of ideas that, you know, very ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, keep dear to them. Um, I, I am questioning different things now regarding that, you know, what many people in the yeshiva world would, would never question,
0: mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, you're I mean, doing like, it—is it intellectual honesty that drives you?
5: Yeah, I mean, like, put it this way, I mean, everyone's born into their own environment, but, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean it's true, just because you're born to parents who believe certain
0: things. right? So logically, that has to be self-evident, because one's born in an atheist family, another Hindu family, another Muslim, another Christian, another Hasidic, mm-hmm. so they can't all be—some of them are mutually exclusive. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, and so we share that in common. We are God-fearing Jews that are pursuing the truth as best as we know how, and that's the foundation for our discussion. Yes?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Yeah, so over to you.
5: So I wanted to ask you about uh, your views on Daniel 9, and um, I I guess maybe you want to make an introduction about it. Basically, the argument usually you use is from verse 24, about that the 490-year period. Uh, Mm -hmm. Somewhere during that period, the Messiah had to come.
0: Yes, yes. That that basically it it starts. We the 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 terminus aquo, the time from which it starts, uh, has been debated rabbinic mm-hmm. scholars, Christian scholars debate, when it when it begins, but, but somewhere in the 6th the or 5th century BCE, and then it ends, the terminus ad quem, the time up to which it goes is the destruction of the Temple in the year mm-hmm. 70, which is spoken of in, in, in uh, 927, so that 490-year period is fulfilled there, and within that mm-hmm. time, Messiah must come and make atonement for our sins. Yes. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I mean, just to comment on the end... Time at the end of it. Um, I, I have a little, maybe a minority opinion that it, I think it might end in the year seventy-three at the fall of Masada. But you know that's just you know uh, the way I interpret it. But the, I want to focus on, on verse twenty-four where you say that yeah. that it has to be during this period. I actually see that this these this four hundred and ninety years are periods of somewhat light, not, but uh, somewhat uh, pain and suffering to atone for sin.
0: Okay, um, so, so let's let's just back up. Daniel 9-1 mm-hmm. and following. Daniel is praying. He's in exile. He's been in exile. He was one to go in one of the first waves of exiles, so 19 mm-hmm. years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And he is praying because he sees that Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah 25, for example, that the exile would last 70 years. So he's going to mm-hmm. God, say, confessing sin and saying, hey, isn't it time for the exiles to return? And then God says, actually, I'm going to talk to you about a period, not just of 70 years, but of 70 times 7, 490 years. So we, are we in harmony on that point?
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. But, but I, I think what we're not at harmony is, it seems to me that these are not wonderful years. It seems to me that these are years of suffering in order to atone for sin, and only after the sin is fully atoned, after the period of 490 years, can the Messianic Age begin.
0: Okay, but there's the, the ad quem of seventy or with you seventy three. Yeah. So so somehow whatever takes place during that period is is that which ushers in the Messianic Age.
5: Yeah, it does it's supposed to usher in the Messianic Age, but it's not gonna usher in the Messianic Age by having the Messiah come during that time. It's gonna be by having these laid out sufferings. You know, which, which talk about you know, as the, that the city will be rebuilt in troubled times, that, that the mm-hmm. anointed one will be cut off, and then it talks about the, uh, the, you know, the destruction of the Temple. Those are years of suffering that are inflicted upon Israel to cleanse it of its sin, and only once it's done you know, and clean of its sin, only then the Messianic Age could start.
0: All right, so let's, let's say I agree with you, which I don't, but let's say I agree with right. you. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. And we've had all types of suffering, exile right up to the Holocaust, and we've continued to sin all this time. So what's the use of it's almost like the whole table is set and now the whole table is empty and everybody's scattered from the dinner table again. What was the point of setting the table? What did that actually accomplish then?
5: Well, once we set the table, we, we, we accomplished setting the table. Uh, now we just have to get people to come to it.
0: But, but, but why have we kept suffering? The ages. Well, we kept
5: suffering because it's a su- we are self-inflicting wounds on ourselves, and, and we are we are we are keeping on creating new sins. But this was a time where we were supposed to finish the sins of, uh, in my view, the sins of the first temple uh, period, the sins of the intermediate part, where where what's it called? We sinned during the exile, and that's why we had our, our had to be multiplied by uh, seven times, and also the sin, in my view, of the errors of the gaps. That many scholars say are between the 490s. Those are the sins for the second Temple period. So now we don't have to atone for any old sins. We just have to atone for our current sins, and we just have to, you know,
0: get uh, our right, act so, together. Okay, but but basically, then what you're saying is we had a massive debt. We paid off the debt. Now we've fallen back into massive debt again. What what did it actually accomplish? No, it, it's it, it didn't. It didn't stop the Holocaust. It didn't stop the Kamenniki massacres. It didn't stop all the suffering through the ages and all the terrorist attacks that have been endured, and all we've done is accumulated a new set of sins, and maybe even worse than the old set of sins. So, what actually happened?
5: So, as I said, this is these 490 years is to atone for a specific sin. If you look in in uh, verse 24, the Hebrew there that I have in for me says "lachali haPesha" to end the sin with a with a "hei you know a definite article the, the idea is that it's a specific type of sin in my view
0: well why can't hapesha also mean as it would that, that the definite article is transgression broadly as as for example here, well, let, let me just read it from the new jewish mm-hmm. publication society version sure. on the on the Sfarria website so a jewish website sure. jewish translation 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city until the measure of transgression is filled So there'd have to be a certain amount of disobedience that takes place and that of sin complete until iniquity is expiated and eternal righteousness ushered in and prophetic vision ratified and the Holy of Holies anointed. So these are distinct things that must take place. The level of sin, the nation sinning on a certain level has to reach its culmination and everlasting righteousness has to be brought in sin atoned for, and obviously a once-for-all way, and, and the prophetic vision ratified, that makes perfect sense, especially when it references Mashiach being cut off and having nothing, that this is, this is all describing what takes place at the cross. And this is what takes place within that 490-year period before the second temple is destroyed. And, and Israel reaches the culmination of sin by rejecting the Messiah, that sin is atoned for on the cross and, and through faith in him, everlasting righteousness brought in what the prophet spoke of ratified. And, you know, the Holy of Holies one time in, in, in Chronicles and in DeVar HaYemim is referring to an individual, a priest, so that could speak mm-hmm. of the anointing on Yeshua. But it all happened through him, and it's even mentioning Mashiach anointing one being cut off, whereas your version really, nothing happened, and and Israel... For Israel to atone for sin, Israel would have had to be righteous, whereas it's speaking of Israel committing the culminating sin or transgression. So it seems to be the opposite of what you're saying.
5: Well, I mean, I, I could hear what you, where you're coming from in a sense, but I, I do think, first of all, that you, you have a little bit of a problem. Is if you interpret verse 26, that the Mashiach there is, is the Messiah, then the question is, what, what, what significance does the last week entail? The, 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 what, the final what, destruction. What, what in point other words, of
0: the, yeah, yeah but what's the
5: point of the destruction? How's the destruction tied into forgiving of the sins? Ah, because the, mean, the old system Jesus...
0: is, the old system is done. God brings judgment on the old system, the temple destroyed. But there's no more need for a temple. In other words, atonement has been made, everlasting righteousness has been ushered in, and and with that. Judgment coming because remember, Messiah has been rejected, so there is national judgment that falls. But God, in his redemptive grace, has made another way. Hey, hey, let me let me ask you this because we, we have a break mm-hmm. coming up, but you know, I'd I give you extra time. Uh, when you call, mm-hmm. can you be totally candid with me? You've argued different points, we've gone back and forth with some give and take. Mm-hmm. Do you think this might be one of your weaker arguments, honestly, in your heart of hearts? Uh, no,
5: not at all because I really don't cuz because then you have to you you have to say that there's actually two themes, two types of sins, at, you know, coming in here at the whole time. Where where my view is, it's a 490 year period and uh, what's it called? What's it called? It's all about one type of major sin. It's not about like, you know, like a progressive thing. Also, it doesn't say here anywhere in the verse that that, you know, this is this is this is going to be the final end to all sin and that Israel will never sin anymore after this. All it's saying is that this is a four hundred year period for 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 an atonement process. Most, and everla- uh, and everlasting, keep-
0: everlasting righteousness was brought in.
5: Everlasting righteousness. No, the the four hundred ninety year period was in order to bring in an everlasting righteousness. That was the purpose of it.
0: But it's, it hasn't happened. It's Two thousand years later, it hasn't happened. Hey, hey, listen. a time, God willing, will continue the conversation. But really, honestly. Based on our discussion from Haggai 2, it's much more textual. I challenge you to go back and really think about this honestly, and then relook at the Messianic interpretation. All right, thanks for the call.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Welcome, welcome to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted and blessed to be with you. Hey, when, when we have over the years religious Jewish callers, I always do my best to give extra time for the conversation for two reasons. One, I'm thrilled they're taking the time to call and, and have a conversation. And obviously I, I long to see them come to know Yeshua as Messiah. And two, I want it to be educational for you to hear a Jewish person who's a thinking person and a student of scripture, to argue out their viewpoint or, or to, to hear their perspective. So it can be educational for you as well, so I, I know uh, I do take some extra time with these calls, but it, it's with it's with real purpose, and and it's a great joy to do it. And, it. and if you're 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 watching, you're listening, you're Haredi, you're Hasidic, you're Yeshivish, you're whatever your background is, you're a religious Jew, and you have questions, but you don't want to call, you know, you want your voice to be heard. That's just great. Just just write to us, write to us, sdrbrown org. And if you say, I, you know, I'm Yiddish, is better, write to us in Yiddish. We've got a, a colleague that will gladly respond in Yiddish. You want to write in Hebrew, you want to write in Russian, we've got colleagues that will respond to you in, in Hebrew or in Russian. Just contact us through the website. We, we don't give your email out, your name out, nothing. org. Okay, with that, let's go to Roy in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
3: Good afternoon, Doctor Brown. I appreciate you taking my call.
0: Sure thing. And
3: uh, certainly appreciate you being on the the front lines. I, uh, as we go through these challenging times, uh, having you at the, what I feel like on the the front end of the war, um, uh, really is a blessing and an encouragement. Um, so, your program has meant a lot to me.
0: Well, thank you. I'm blessed to know that that's what we're here for. So, thank you.
3: You're welcome. So, my questions. Um it's more of a curiosity one, but in Leviticus eight it talks about the ram of ordination and Moses takes the blood and puts it on the lobe and the the thumb and the toe of of Aaron. And I'm just curious is there anything in Jewish culture that it it makes it more impactful that it's those specific body parts? Is there uh,
0: it's, so it just it's, makes me
3: wonder uh, what what's the significance?
0: <laughs> yeah, Roy, my, my own opinion is that whatever we would deduce from the text, rabbinic tradition would as well. In in other words, in terms of the the right earlobe, so, you know, signifying what you're hearing, and, and then the right thumb, so, you know, what you're touching, handling, uh, the right big toe, where your feet are carrying you, you know, just symbolic of the consecration of the entire person over to God. I don't believe that there are rabbinic traditions that have been preserved that would, would go all the way back to the time of Moses that would give us insight beyond that. So what you'll find is you know, interesting interpretations, you know interesting hermeneutical interpretations. And, and one thing you can do, if, if you want to check this out for yourself, so there's a website, Sefaria, S-E-F-A-R-I-A. So it's basically a book meaning in hebrew org, and it is a compilation of all principal rabbinic literature bible and rabbinic literature all in one place uh you know to get all these books in libraries which i've accumulated over the years i mean it's massive amounts of books or to buy them on software was a lot of money and now amazingly through people's donations it's there so if you know what is the Mishnah about what is the talmud about what's midrash it doesn't Give you all the background and information but it does give you the actual text what do jewish prayer books look like liturgy so let's say i want to study this tanakh is the hebrew bible t-n-t-a-n-a-k-h the t stands for torah the five books of moses nevi'im which is called the prophets that's the earlier and latter so some of the historical books some of the prophetic books and then the last the kh stands for ketuvim which is writings which is everything else but if if you put it so that it, it will be in english so let's say, so you'll have Genesis, Exodus, you'll have the actual English up rather than the Hebrew. And then uh, you go to the top of the page, you go to Leviticus 8, and then you'll see here it is in English, there's Hebrew translation, and then there's English. And then if you click on the, uh, if, if you're on, the, on your computer, you click on the number of the verse. If you're on your cell phone, you click on the verse itself. It will then call up on the side commentary. Now, some of it's not translated into English yet, but some of it is. And you can actually see what some of the rabbinic commentary is. So as, as, I'm, as I'm looking, um, going through this in, in uh, Leviticus, the 8th chapter, and then uh, with, the, with the application of, of blood, so as we go down a little bit further in the chapter, uh, this happens. Uh, the blood is dashed and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so when, when you get to this, uh, it would be verse 23. So I click on that, and then commentary comes up. And Rashi, who's the principal, first commentary you go to, he doesn't have anything specifically on it. Ibn Ezra uh, gets into uh, some, some descriptions here. Uh, but again, nothing, nothing there that would really illuminate, like, wow, this is a new insight. Right. More just kind of like interesting application, like a preacher might make, in, in my right. opinion, anyway.
3: It, well, and, and when you described it, it almost sounded like uh, an American phraseology, in the sense that we could say a person is all in there from head to toe.
0: Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I head to toe. That that works. Back know. from ear to from ear to toe. That works. Right. But I know mind.
3: that you have to take things from their context first before you bring them into modern day context. Yeah, but but, but so. then
0: think think of this though. In another way, you have, for example, in in, in Mark nine, which echoes what's found in Matthew five and Matthew eighteen where Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, throw it away. So the things you see, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. So the things you touch and do, if your right foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. So the place where you go. So you have that similar kind of head to toe imagery there. Hey, Roy, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to William in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the line of fire.
2: Thank you, Dr. Brown, for your time so much. You're welcome. Um, so my question is, like, to keep a long story short, I went through a journey in my faith that kind of had me, at some point, really doubting most of the New Testament, but really believing in the Old, still believing in the Messiah. Rabbi Singer <laughs> had a lot to do with that. Um, and I guess my question is, now that I've kind of worked through it again, um, or you know, kind of harmonized them together, is um, I find myself as a Gentile, I should say, being um, drawn to, you know, the Sabbath and stuff. And I'm not, you know, talking about like a Acts 15 Pharisee kind of way, but um, just, I guess my question is, I want to start a YouTube channel that would be kind of like a Jewish outreach channel, because I feel like my journey kind of prepared me for those objections. I mm-hmm. kind of sympathized with what they thought about Paul or whatever, about the law. So I guess my question is, how would it would it come off wrong to like a Jew as a Gentile to be, Kind of focusing on Jews, like would it come off as kind of like baity or deceptive? You know,
0: no, no. Um, so if if you if question. you if you state who you are as a Christian who loves the Jewish people and you're forthright, that's that's the biggest thing for a Jewish person. If they felt you were you grow your beard out and you're trying to look like a rabbi or claim to be something that you're not, you know, that's disingenuous. Uh, now, now, obviously. Most people don't appreciate efforts to convert them. That's how they see it, you know, to another religion. But what, what the real objection normally with the Jewish community is, aside from, you know, don't stuff things down our throats, any community is going to feel like that. You know, that's, that's not welcomed. But it's, it's the idea that, that you're being deceptive, that you're claiming to be something you're not. You're using you know, your terms and saying things a certain way to give the impression that you're really Jewish or, or that you know things you don't right. know. If instead you're like, hey, I'm a Christian that loves the Jewish people and loves the God of Israel, and I want to share my faith and answer questions, objections, yeah, and and yeah, why not? If the Lord blesses it and gives you people that watch, it'll be educational for Christians, uh, you know, if you do things right and potentially can reach Jewish people. And, yes, the key thing is to be honest. Don't do anything that is deceptive or appears deceptive. Be who you are. And, and Jewish yeah, well, people will appreciate that
2: right I guess my fear is that I do I do observe like the Sabbath and the feast days and stuff and I genuinely do that way before I ever thought about you know reaching yeah but that's that's Jews fine though anything? you could just say right. look
0: I'm a Christian that that loves the Jewish people that loves the biblical calendar I enjoy the Sabbath you know etc but you're not you're not trying to prove Jewishness through it it's just your right. identification with the Jewish people just be who you are but you'll be do not respond to human pressure all right in, in other words when you feel pressure from one group well you have to distance yourself from this or you feel pressure from you know I got to look more Jewish or proof no no that's never helpful and and you cannot be moved by human opinion if you have a YouTube channel or social media outlet you really have to pray do your best to get God's mind be in touch with local leaders, you know, other believing leaders that that you can get counsel from and input from. And then don't be moved by human opinion. Now, you may see objections that are raised. Someone may find out about your YouTube channel and start to attack. And that may cause you to reflect more deeply or come up with more solid answers. But that's great. Just, you know, be challenged by it to go even deeper. And William, I hope you've taken advantage. We've released uh, three very specific demolitions of misinformation of Rabbi Tovia Singer thus far on our website, Ask Dr. Brown, or just, uh, excuse me, AskDrBrown.org, or YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown. Check those out. We've got three more already recorded, about to record three more. I want to get as many of these out so that people can be set free with the truth. Hey, Jordan, Scott, others, try to give us a call tomorrow, and we'll put you at the top of the list. God bless.